Good morning. Welcome to Grace. It's good to see everybody as you're coming in. And you'll see a bulletin out there. We have uh, several things we want to share with you this morning. And uh, most of you probably have a bulletin with a little line crossed out on one of the songs there at the end. I want to thank um, all the kids who are used to drawing in the bulletins for that. Um, no, that's their expertise. There was a print in there, and we didn't want everybody singing that and throwing off the music team when we got there. So in your bulletin on the third song, you may have a line that struck through uh, that is intentional. That wasn't some kid that picked your bulletin up. So uh, we, we started fixing that here this morning. So uh, thanks for your patience as we work through it. We'll be ready to worship when we get there. You'll see several announcements on the back of the bulletin. We are in the middle of some changes going on. Nothing that you'll probably notice if you're not in Sunday school, but uh, Dr. Ken Abbott had finished up his study and will beginning, I believe, next week. I'm looking back. Is that right, Mr. Dr. Abbott? So uh, next week, he is going to start a Bible study on First and Second Peter and then into Jude. So if you're interested in going through the Bible study part, that will be starting next Sunday downstairs in the Sunday school room. Now, some people have asked about rooms. We've made some changes already today. So parents, if you have a middle school aged student that is in Sunday school, that room has been moved down outside the fellowship hall. Um, we made room in that room for the elementary class that's now sometimes 12 or more kids in Sunday school. So we praise the Lord that we're growing. But if you go to Ken's Sunday school class and there's like 25 of you in there, then what we normally do is say only 10 can stay and I get the rest. That's how that works. But that's not true. We will move Ken to whatever. His is the primary class as the pastor's class. Once again, I'm kind of moved down the totem pole. I say that in a fun sense. Um, I'm finishing up today, overcoming doubt, and I'm kind of fo focusing more on the ministry and pastoral classes. And so I'm praying in the future about doing one. Uh, that comes from one of our Counseling Coalition classes about teammates. It's about working together in your marriage. So let me ask you, anybody ever had any issues in your marriage? That's exactly, that's why we're having the class, <laughs> because you won't even admit when you're having issues. No, it's not a counseling class. It's fun things. It's devotional things that we work together. But before that, down the road, I'm going to begin, not this week, we're finishing up, and then I'll be doing a class on contentment, finding God's goodness in the situations of life. And so I encourage you, if you're not in Ken's class, uh, we always want Bible study. We've even thought about maybe offering another joint class of Bible study. Um, so it's, it's not about what the class is. It's about getting in the small group, being able to study. I know Mrs. McFadden is doing Romans. And so if you're wanting to be in the Romans study, I think this one, you have to be a lady, guys. So um, but there is a class on Tuesday nights also for ladies. They're studying that uh, Mrs. Um, I was going to use her last name, Wilson, but I should just say Renee, but um, she's doing it on Tuesday nights if you're online. So we have several opportunities and something that I'm excited about for small groups. If you're here in our church and you're wanting to know what you can plug in, don't forget it's not just the women's ministry, the men's ministry. Guys, I need your help. Um, the Lord has blessed us in many ways, but guys, we ordered 40 books for the men's group, and I think we already have 47 men or something like that this time. So make sure you're signing up. We're going to order more books, but if you have not signed up yet and you do want a book and you want to be a part of it, we are just blessed. We're actually going to add a fourth group back in. I'm sad to say that that will be the Seahawk group, but I guess that's part of the area here. We now have football names for our teams, and we're all waiting for the anxious report of what the next Washington football team club will be. 
So if you're not sure, we'll have a sign about there, bets in the foyer, and we'll pay off whoever wins the, the name of the team. But, uh, but my point is this, we have opportunities for you to fellowship. And more importantly, if you want to minister, folks, listen to me. I'll be coming back probably in a few months to help, just like I did the structure of our church. If you haven't been here long, we've laid out the structure of how the deacons and the elders have their responsibilities, and we need ministry leaders. You don't have to be an elder or a deacon to be a leader in the church and to help us. We have all kinds of ministries, but we also need those who want to help shepherd. Now, I'm not talking about being an ordained elder, but if you're here this morning and you say, I like praying with people. I like helping people. I, I really do like it when people are hurting that I have a chance to help them. Our shepherds met, and we're slowly going through and starting to look through things as how you can plug into your family ministry. So if you're in a shepherding group right now, it's going to be that your shepherd is going to need a few of you to step up in what we call care group leaders within the shepherding group. And he's also going to need a few core group leaders or contact leaders to keep up. So not only are we implementing the small groups throughout the church and study, but we also want to implement the small group in the sense of ministry where we can take care of one another. So if you feel that need, you don't have to be ordained, but we need those opportunities as the elders go forward because folks, there's no way each elder can take care of 15, 20, 25 families. Uh, so we either need to, a lot more ordained men or we need to get your gifts involved. So please be in prayer. We're excited about a lot of these things as we come back together and, and begin to grow again. Um, but you'll see some other announcements that are there on the back of the bulletin. Um, I'll let you read through all of those. We do have the drop box for the clothing and the things that are taking place. Please uh, read up on that if you have any questions. I know Rusty in the food ministry is actually doing also a clothing ministry, even for our church. So if there's those of you who may need something, please let us know. Uh, we're going to gather extra clothes and all kinds of things. But if you need something, we may already have that. And you're welcome to that before we pass all that out. And then finally, because of the weather again tonight... Uh, Nick helps run all of our evening services, as you know. So if you have questions, uh, Pastor Nick usually knows all the details that are going on on Sunday evening. But due to the weather, and as you know, it may be snow, it may be rain, it may be ice, we don't know. But it also affects our teachers, those who can come and lead, and those who drive in a distance. And so as of right now, we just want all the families with children and youth to know that there will not be the Sunday night programs tonight. Um, so if you have questions, see Nick. He can help you out with that. And so he can explain more in details all that goes into trying to make Sunday night work. Because if you don't realize that, folks, we now have 20 or more youth that come, up to 20 kids that are coming. We're getting ready to do a preschool. So if you're excited about reaching out and ministering to preschool, we would sure love your help so that our Sunday night ministry uh, can continue to grow for the families who are bringing their children to us in order to share those truths. So there's so much that we have going on. We're so thankful for all of you who have helped put it together who have helped make it go forward, and we're excited to do that. So thank you very much for all of that. Now let me take a moment, and let's go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, you'll see inside your hymn book, if you need it, the Lord's Prayer. Um, but I would invite you in just a moment to pray with us. The, the session has met this past week. We're ready to begin in February, bringing members on. If you're still praying about joining the church, we're actively meeting, and would be glad to meet with you if you're ready to join. Um, but we've also talked about implementing the elements of service back. And so I know we took a break this month from the Lord's Supper. Uh, it's hard on my heart when we do that, um, but they're gracious to me and they work together with it. But we're going to implement those back in February, um, regardless of some of the conditions. We're not, 
you know, signed that we couldn't do that, but we're going to implement back the Lord's Supper. You'll notice in your pews that we have all kinds of hand sanitizers. So if you're here and the tray is passed and you're not sure, we'll have all that back in there. Cindy Freeze still comes. She's been sick, but we have formula that Woody Waddell helped us with his doctor's office. For those of you who don't know, it's a spray that we put out. I couldn't tell you exactly what it is. I think it's just a very heavy form of pledge. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but the, the truth, yeah, it's a mist. That's right. So if you're not sure when you come, we can spray you as well. It's not supposed to hurt anything. But we actually spray the pews. We've got hand sanitizer. And we're not going to force you to do it. But folks, we want to continue to celebrate the Lord's Supper. We're also going to bring the offering back. And we want you to know it's been a while. I know it's very convenient. It's there in the back. Many of you have got used to mailing it. If you're going to continue to mail it, we ask that you add another 10% to that for the paperwork that goes... That goes I better quit while I'm ahead. Um, no, what we do want you to know is this. We're not telling you to change that. We are so thankful that you were willing to rework things. And you can continue. It's very helpful for many people who do that anyway. You're welcome to keep mailing it in, sending it directly, whatever you do. I don't do the money. But we also want to bring it back because one of the most important things about worship is the opportunity to come with the sacrifice of praise, not only in song and not only in word, but in giving. And we want to teach our children. I, I know in my own family, it's wonderful to be able to, even if it's give them a quarter or a dollar or to see what we do. Um, we've lost almost two years of being able to worship as a family and to let people see the importance of why we make changes in our life. And we may not have everything our neighbor has. And we may not be able to do everything that our friends do because we've put God first. And so if you want to mail that in still, we're going to gather the offering just like normal. We'll put it in the same offering plate. We'll recognize you um, as well. But we want to bring that back together. And if you've ever sung the doxology before, it's an opportunity for us to be able to stand and have John Ferguson lead us every week in the doxology. Just kidding. John, he'll do it. But anyway, pray for us. It's a lot today with what's going on with weather. But we're ready to just keep moving forward. We're, we are so thankful for all of you and your patience, we've adjusted the bulletins, the amount of songs, the orders of worship. Uh, it's been a long journey that we really thought we would be over by now, and we're praying come February it will be, so that we can continue to, to get things going again. So let's go to the Lord in prayer, and I appreciate everything that you've been a part of helping, and I ask that if you want to be a part of those things, whether it's part of our music team, ushers as we need things, greeters at the door, more services, teachers, Please let us know because we want to be able to minister to your family and use the gifts God's given you to help the church go forward. But let's pray, and if you would join me in just a moment in the Lord's Prayer. Heavenly Father, again, forgive us. Father, just for the times that we have fallen and failed and for the times that we've willingly jumped, knowing that it was taking us places we didn't need to be. Father, we do have hearts that have been changed, and we love you because of what your Holy Spirit has done in us. But yet, Father, we wrestle with a world that doesn't acknowledge you, that gets frustrated with us and turns on us because we do. And yet, Lord, you strengthen us. You enable us to continue to be the witness we're supposed to be, to demonstrate the love that others may never do, to be able to show grace and to extend mercy in situations when others would never see it. Lord, it's amazing that when we gather together for worship, as the psalmist teaches us this morning, that it should be the time of joy, 
an exceeding time of abundance and realizing what a privilege and an honor it is. And the excitement that should ensue is we know that you've chosen us as your children and we're able to inherit all the things that your son has for us. As we gather this morning, Lord, again, clear our minds and hearts. Help us to focus for a few moments on nothing but you, what it is that you have for us so that we can leave this place today with a refreshed meaning and purpose in life, knowing that you're bringing it all together. We couldn't do it without your son, Jesus Christ. What he has done for us in opening the veil, tearing the curtain in twain, and allowing us to enter your presence, the holy situation, because of what he's done for us. And so, Lord, now we're able, not on our own, own good works and our own abilities, but because of what Jesus has covered us in. It's his righteousness that brings us to your presence so that we can pray together saying, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's confess our faith together through the words of the Shorter Catechism. I'll read the question and then let's all recite together. What do we pray for in the second petition? In the second petition, which is thy kingdom come, we pray that Satan's kingdom may be destroyed and that the kingdom of grace may be advanced ourselves and others brought into it and kept in it and that the kingdom of glory may be hastened what do we pray for in the third petition in the third petition which is thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven we pray that god by his grace would make us able and willing to know obey and submit to his will in all things as the angels do in heaven. Our call to confession comes from 2 Corinthians 7, verses 9 and 10. Let me read it for us, and let's all listen together. As it is, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Our loving Father comes to us, wanting us, telling us to confess our sins. And he does that not merely to hurt our feelings or to make us feel bad, but that we would complete that process of coming back to him when we've messed up, when we've sinned, so that we would once again receive that forgiveness afresh and be empowered to live the way that he wants us to live so let's pray together this prayer that's printed for you in the bulletin merciful god for the things we have done that we regret for the things we have failed to do that we regret for all the times we have acted without love for all the times we have reacted without thought for all the times we have withdrawn care for the times that we have failed to forgive, for hurtful words said and helpful words unsaid, for unfinished tasks and unfulfilled hopes, 
God of all time, forgive us and help us to lay down our burden of regret. In Jesus' name, amen. And as we've confessed our sins, we've received this assurance of pardon from Romans 8. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. If you are in Christ, these blessings are for you. These blessings of forgiveness, these blessings of the Spirit's presence in our lives. Even when we suffer, he is with us and will help us. So be assured that he is your God who is with you and is walking with you. And that as we look ahead to the next week, that we will trust his Spirit to be working within us. Even as we confess our sins again, we can say that Jesus is working in us and making us more and more like him. You may be seated, and I hope that you brought your Bibles along with you and could turn to Psalm 122. And I appreciate our music team uh, as they each week are, are going forward and helping us. If you've never sang some of the psalms, don't know that we'll have one each week, but if you've never sung through the Psalters, they're actual hymns or tunes or songs that people have written that go right with the words of the psalms. And so you get an opportunity to actually sing the words of the actual psalm as they are there. And so I appreciate their willingness uh, to lead us in that direction as we go. As you're turning to Psalm 122, let me make one announcement. It'll be in the bulletin next week, but January 30th is the date the session has set for our annual congregational meeting. So we will announce everything next week, but I can go ahead and tell you ahead of time, that is the week that we have two main meetings. One, the congregational meeting, which is where the session will present to you a, an executive uh, distribution of the finances and the offerings and the changes of the budget. It's also the time in which the trustees will come before us with anything the trustees need so that we can vote. That's actually done because of Maryland law. And, uh, and let me just insert, it's also the time, I'll announce now, we won't have the actual decisions there, but we want you to be in prayer. We'll have more of a formal thing for you as the session meets and improves things. But the session has met and uh, feel like, if you don't understand how this works, let me just do it quickly. Many of you know that Nick is our assistant pastor. Uh, that means he was hired by the session five years ago or so, six, to serve our youth. And at that time, there was not only a pastor, but there was also an associate pastor, and he worked with youth. Well, now things have changed, and uh, I'm here now as our senior pastor. They call that. I'm not sure how that, again, has authority. And Nick is our assistant, but we still have a lot of duties that we've asked Nick to start filling in and doing. And so that makes Nick really, on paper, more an associate pastor. Now, some people may not understand how that works, but as an assistant pastor, he was hired by the session which means the session also has the right to tell Nick, we don't want you anymore. And the session said, Nick, we don't want you anymore as an assistant. And so they came behind him in confidence and said, Nick, we would like you to stay. We would like to recommend that you be an associate pastor. But Nick and I have prayed about this and the session has prayed about this. And we understand one big thing. 
Nick understands one big thing, and that's why we're asking you to begin praying now. The church must elect Nick as an associate pastor. The session cannot place Nick as an associate. The session only has the right to recommend that the church vote on Nick, and we won't do that without a meeting. So we'll be scheduling a meeting for Nick to come before you, and if you want to come, you're able to ask Nick whatever you want, where he stands theologically, where he is in his positions, how he's going to help the church. You have the right to interview Nick just like any other minister that would come because you have the right and obligation to vote on him. And so Nick understands, and I say this gently with confidence, that yes, the church must vote. And if the church votes yes, we'll move forward and install him in a new position. If the church votes no, and you better not. If the church votes no, honestly, and I say this from my heart, Nick and I have prayed, we know where we are. If for some reason the church said no, the session is not going to act as a pulpit search committee. That is the time in which the session will regroup and say, hey, we understand the will of the people, but then we will have to put forth another committee to search. And so we're just using the step that will be made, I think, official in June in the BCO that says the session can recommend, but the church still must vote and approve Nick in order to do that. So be in prayer. And if you have questions that you want to later ask Nick or even ahead of time, you have that time. But we're going to be presenting that to you, not that we're voting on it the day of the annual meeting, but we just want you to know, pray for the session. Uh, folks, I'm going to tell you, I've been blessed here speaking about worship, my family. Uh, it's been, it's been a, a long two years walking the lines, trying to keep peace, trying to please everybody, trying to make sure we're not pleasing men trying to make sure we're not just pleasing officials, but that we're doing what we think God wants for our church to do. And, and your men, I can tell you, your session has been open. They've been honest. They've integrity. Uh, they are honestly trying to say whatever we do, we want to do it by the book. We want to do it in purity and peace. And we want the congregation to know they can fully trust in us. And so if you haven't had a chance to call your elder or you have said, I'm not even sure who my elder is. Well, then let me know and I'll tell you. But what an opportunity to just thank them because it has been a long two years of change in church working through this entire situation. And they've done a great job to do it. So we need to, we need to thank them. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah. All right, Psalm 122. Let me begin this time just by reading it, and then we'll go together. It's a very short in the sense of meat psalm, but it's one that many like because it deals with worship. Now, let me preface this ahead of time. I'm going to challenge you on worship this morning in many ways because it's the Word of God. I'm not challenging you on worship because I'm mad at you, or I think you don't come enough, or I don't think you give enough, or I don't think you're happy enough, or those aren't the things that I'm doing. This was planned ahead of time. But man, does the psalmist not tell us the importance of what worship should entail when we gather. So let me read Psalm 122. The psalmist says this, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates of Jerusalem. Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. 
Their thrones for judgment were set. Their thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they uh, be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls. Security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. So the psalmist takes us on a journey. We've titled it, Come to Worship, because that's what really it's about. And I take you on a journey here because I have to say, it's very hard sometimes to keep a straight face if you're out and about with people talking about why they're not in worship. And I say that in a fun sense, but I am amazed at how many excuses people have to not come to worship. And sometimes you have to go, okay, I understand, because you want to smile. Are you kidding me? Is that the real reason you're not coming? And I know it hurts in your heart, but folks, we have heard everything from I forgot the time change to my kids didn't wake up to my, my dog's got my Bible to, you know, whatever the story may be. It's amazing. I just don't feel like it today. I'm not sure there was anything for me. I'm not following along. It's amazing. Sometimes you just have to go, okay, Lord, you convict them because I'm lost. But the psalmist cries out today to in clarity to all of us, not just that we should bring in worship. Folks, do you realize it is a decree for the people of God to come to the presence of the Lord? It's not optional. And we live in the world sometimes as worship just being one of those things that, well, if we get the time, we'll do it. If we have an opportunity, it's decreed to the people of God to come into his presence, but not just to be there. What the psalmist writes us about is that we should come into his presence with what? Go ahead and say it. With thankfulness and more importantly, joyfulness. They're excited to be here. And listen to what he says. Our feet are standing within the gates, O Jerusalem. I'm going to give you an outline in a minute, but listen to this. We're only on the third psalm of ascent, and we're already at the destination. Do you see, the life of journeying to God isn't what's so important. It's once you get to God that things begin to matter. For most of you, if you're like me, you're going to say, I've spent most of my life as a Christian serving the Lord, going through experiences and learning what is necessary, learning to trust in him, learning to follow him. It's in the presence of worship and in church. If I asked you to raise your hand today, and you don't have to, let me ask you this. How many of you, just recollect, I'm not trying to figure out your age, ladies, but listen to this. How many have been in church 20 years? Just think about it. Raise your hand. Go ahead. Raise your hand. 20 years you've been in church. Okay, let's go for 30. How many of you have been in church? Some of you aren't that old, so don't raise your hand. 30 years. I'm talking about you, Gloria. You're not old enough to be there. 40 years. Okay, 50. Do you see the point the psalmist is trying to make? The journey for our relationship with Christ was not spending our lives coming to Christ. It was spending our lives learning how to be joyful while we're with Christ. Learning how to serve Christ in the presence of the Lord, witnessing to others. It's learning to live the Christian life, and that happens in worship. You've got to realize when the psalmist begins to write us, most of our experiences that we have reaching out to others deals with being with other Christians. And he begins by simply saying, I was glad. I was excited when they say, we were going to go to worship. So I ask you this morning, when you rolled out of bed... And you rolled over the next to the person. How many of you said, oh, if we don't hurry, we're going to be late? Or did you jump out of bed, ring the bells in the house? Folks, it's the day of worship. Let us go to the house of the Lord. A or B? Yeah. 
Folks, that's what the psalmist is trying to say. It was the excitement of beginning the new life, the commencement that takes place. Remember this. They're in the city, the walls of Jerusalem. It's the place that Jesus saved the world, brought salvation down from heaven. They're gathering there in the temple. And yet we realize now once we get there, it's only the beginning. If you're here this morning and you've made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit has brought you to that point where you realize life is not about you, but about Him. He's brought you to your knees because you've understood repentance and you realize that you need to change your mind to agree with what God has for your life rather than what you have for your life. And so you trust in Him and you call out to Him and you believe in Him. If you've come to that point in your life, it's just the beginning. That's what the psalmist is writing. To be in the walls of Jerusalem is just the beginning. It's not that we want you to come to Christ and then forget about you. That's the problem with many churches. I'll be honest with you. We've all grown up in them. It's not that we want a membership role, that once you're on the membership role, we forget about you. We're going to serve you and faithfully come after you, and we love you, and we'll do anything we can. And once you sign the dotted line, well, then you're done. That's the end of life. It's the end of the journey. And that's not true. It's just the beginning. Again, if you went to college, you realize like I did that I thought when I graduated college, I had reached the peak of life. I was the first one in my family to ever go to school. I come from a farm trash family that grew up out west, hardworking farming families, and not one person ever went to college in our family. It was a big step when I went. And I remember thinking when I was graduating, I have made it. And then I realized when the speaker got up to speak about all the things I would face, there's a reason why they call it the commencement service. I just spent four years of my life overcoming the world, and they're saying, okay, now we're ready to begin. Folks, that's how it is in the Christian life. What the psalmist is saying is when you come into the presence of the Lord, that's not the goal. That's the commencement. Our hearts ought to be ready and challenged to now go and to live with the Lord and to experience the blessings. It's just now time to get going. Let me give you a bit of encouragement. Do you realize a statistic that was taken by George Barnes several years back was competing with all the things going on in the world on Sundays? And you know, if you just look at the membership within the top 10 denominations of the United States, there are more people sitting in the pews on Sunday morning than every football stadium filled watching football games. But does it feel like it? The excitement for those football games overshadows all the church events, overshadows the excitement of what we're learning, the excitement of what Christ has done. And we hear more through the media about all the people who gather for football games when we have more people sitting in the pews than they have in their stadiums. And we even have a lot of no-shows. Isn't that amazing? Worship is the core of the Christian life. Now, there are those, and I'll tell you, there's rebuttal going on because we are living in a generation, especially with the internet age, especially with technology, that is now saying worship can be replaced. Your relationships can still be full. They can be whole. I thank the Lord for the internet, especially for Zoom Bible studies. Isn't that amazing? That you can Zoom right in, talk with people, be with people, see their faces. Now, folks, I'm old-fashioned because Zoom's old-fashioned, if you didn't know that. Man, our young generation calls on the phone. They look at each other. My little kids walk around the house with phones now talking to their siblings from other states looking at them, just having a blast talking. 
It's as if we can be with them. But let me tell you something, parents. Don't that replace you going to visit them and to actually be with them. Being in the presence of an individual is how you were created. Let's not let something else take its place just so that we feel like we're doing what we should. And worship is no different. We can now turn on the TV for years. It used to be the radio. Now it's the TV. Now it's video. It's technology. You can carry it with you. Folks, you can watch any preacher you want televised on TVs, now on the internet, and you don't have to come to worship. You can do it in your own home, lying in bed next to Pastor Pillow, faithful and bedside Baptist, and there you have it, and worship is there. But is that what God calls worship? Have you responded to the decree, the word for that which is commanded by God in verse 4, to go up and meet with God? So all of a sudden we learn. Let's look at verse 1. Let me ask the question as I read it. I was glad when they said, let us go to the house. Do any of you ever miss being with the people of God? Let me just ask you this one question. Don't answer it. What keeps you from coming to the people of God. I know we have all kinds of answers. We could say, well, my work is very busy. Things are going on. I got family coming. I've even heard things like, I can't come today because I need to clean my house for company. I've got to get food prepared for the meals that are coming. We've got a lot of things we need to get ready for other people, as if we would spend more time preparing for other people than we would for who? The Lord. I'm not here to harp on you guys. I want you to hear what the psalmist is saying. I was glad when they said, you know, the missionaries will tell us, especially in Japan, especially in some of the eastern countries with the local kami gods, the local eastern religions, that the only thing that keeps people from coming to their meetings and their services is usually death. That when someone doesn't show up for their gathering, it's either because they're in, in harm's way that's serious or they've died. Because they realize there's nothing else that's going to keep them from coming to be in the presence of those who are learning about Christ. And yet here in America, I say it gently. We don't need to be sending out missionaries to the rest of the world. We need to be what? We need to be bringing missionaries in. Reminding us about the importance of what it means to truly gather. But we've taken advantage of the freedom that this country has given us. And we've used our freedom not for good, but to leave what God's called us to do. Oh, I'm not trying to harvest. Listen to the psalmist. Remember all the ways that in Scripture it was important. Even when Jesus, do you remember when they brought the paralytic to Jesus and there were so many crowds they couldn't get to him? It was so important to get with Jesus. Do you remember how they did it? Go ahead, shake your head. You remember what they did? They carried him up on the rooftop and what? Cut a hole and lowered him down. I'd like to see you do that. I want to be with Pastor Jerry so bad, it would just come down. Now, Tim, Ta Tim Tasker could probably make that for you, and it, and it would ha probably happen if you want that. But folks, people just wanted to be in the presence of the people. Let me give you a few quick facts about the joy. When we were planning a church in Evansville, our local church, Owensboro, Kentucky, Christ Church, Christ Presbyterian Church, there were uh, Pastor John is. I can tell you two stories that there's people in the Owensboro Church that travel all the way from southern Kentucky who work for the state in the Mammoth Caves. There's no other Reformed church, no other place that they could worship, and they drive every Sunday all the way up. It's about a two-hour drive, a little over in Kentucky, to be in worship. 
They even changed their worship services that once a month they have an evening Sunday service and they move it to 2.30 p.m. Do you know why? They had so many people traveling abroad. They didn't cancel their services. They simply did the morning service, provided a meal, and then did the afternoon service so that those people could go back. And on the weeks in which they didn't do that, those families stayed at the church, ate at the church by themselves, and played games with their family until evening worship. Folks, I'm just telling you, worship was important. We had people driving to Evansville that came all the way from Jasper, Indiana. It's where we eventually one time planted the church. I think I've shared with you before, we had several families coming to our worship that was about an hour away. They asked me one day, why wouldn't you come and preach to us? I said, I would. And so what happened? There was a Presbyterian church that was dying and they gave us their building. And this small group of people said, we want you to come to us. It just so happens in Indiana that I was right on the time zone as I shared with you. So I could get up in my house on Sunday morning, I could drive to Jasper an hour away, preach a morning service, and drive back to Indiana, and the time hadn't changed yet. <laughs> when you say you can't be in two places at one time, that's not true. We lived right on the, the, the line of the eastern time zone. Those of you who know Chicago and Indiana, I don't know why, but the timeline comes all the way down and then shoots all the way over by Louisville and then goes down. And I'll tell you why it did that. Because God knew in the time that there would be a little church that wouldn't be able to get a preacher. And there would be one who was willing and he could cross the time zone, preach the sermon and get back to his people and more people could come to Christ. Isn't it amazing? I think the psalmist knew what we would one day go through and he would remind us, you ought to be excited to do whatever it takes to get into the presence of the Lord. The word rejoicer, the Hebrew word samach, is an explosive word used throughout the Old Testament in a very general sense, but it's overflowing with this idea that joy is overflowing the cup. It's that running over it type of thing that is used throughout the Old Testament. When he says, I, I was glad, that's the word for rejoice. I rejoiced when they said, let's go to the house of the Lord. No, I don't want to go to the... Washington football game. I don't want to watch the Wizards. No, I get the concert was big. I understand it's a wonderful one in a lifetime. I want to go to what? To worship. Is that how your kids feel? I'll be honest with you. I don't think my kids have ever asked me, Dad, can we skip church today to go do this? Not just because I'm a pastor. I've never heard them ask their mom, hey, can we take a Sunday off? Even when we're on vacation, folks, I'm not asking you to be like me. But we have joined a whole lot of vacation Bible schools. We've joined a whole lot of worship services. And even when Sarah Crandall invited us to go down into the valley of the Shenandoah, the first thing we did when we got there was looked up churches to figure out which church would we go to on Sunday morning. Oh, I love the vacation and I love the time. But folks, I rejoice when you say to me, Pastor, you want to start a Sunday night service? Pastor, you want to do a Wednesday night Bible study? Pastor, can you help us with the men's group? I don't care if I'm first, second, third, or last. It brings joy to my heart when the people of the Lord say, I want to go to the house of the Lord. The psalmist takes us on this journey. Listen to the pilgrims that are coming to this. They're not just rejoicing the same excitement that's on in our lives. He says that should be taking place in the pews. Verse 2 says this, it's our feet that are now standing in this place. Let me tell you what brings joy, and we'll move into verse 2. Write these down. How is it that worship can become joy rather than a burden? 
remember, first of all, who you invited to church. Can you recall that? Can you recall the first time you invited someone to church? What it felt like? Can you remember the first time someone invited you to church? What it felt like? It's hard to get people to come to church when you say, Hey, yeah, well, you know, I, I know we got a meeting later today, but the truth of it is I, our, our church, it, it meets at a weird time. I know it's kind of early and we got to do things, but that's what works for us. And, and that's kind of the time that everybody fits. But, you know, sometimes... The preacher's long-winded, and we get out a little bit later, and we do have a Sunday school, but you know, there's just depends on what class you want to go to, and we're not sure. And, and by the time you get done and you say, but oh, but if you'd like to come, you can, they pretty much decided already what? Who wants to go there? See, it's different when you're excited about your church, when you can get excited about not your pastor and not just the things that are happening, but about the Lord and what he's accomplishing and what's going on there. It's the excitement that brings people. It's the excitement that, well, I want to be a part of that. And if you're not excited, folks, we've all been there. When you're not excited about being in the presence of the Lord, who else would want to be? So listen to what he says. Here's how you bring joy into worship. First of all, we must understand this. To bring joy into worship, it's about his presence, being in his presence, listening to him being preached sitting with his people and experiencing his peace. Now, we get that throughout the psalmist and the writings, and so you can get these. Let me give you several passages. You could go back just a little bit to Psalm chapter 16 and read all about the importance of his presence. See, the psalms work together. They all were there together as they're writing and sharing and going. They didn't realize they would be published, but this is what was taking place in their lives. And listen to what it says in Psalm 16. He writes this, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are the pleasures forevermore. If you're coming to worship and you're not doing it to be in his presence, you're probably frustrated. You're probably frustrated. Jerry cannot replace Jesus. I cannot bring what the Holy Spirit can bring. And so we find in verse 2, our feet have been standing within your gates. We're in your presence, Lord. We're here, and the reason we're excited about this is because we're now standing in the same place now that you kept us from falling before. The word there, you may not realize this. I'll help you out. The word regal is the word for feet. It's just the plural form of what took place in the previous psalm for foot. It's a reference back to the previous psalter in which our foot used to slip, and now our feet are what? standing firm. It's in the presence of God that we realize the word Ahmad for standing is because we're being held up by the presence of God. It's in his presence that we experience the joy. We're not afraid of falling anymore. We're not afraid of slipping and losing our position. We are here because God is here. One of the joys of celebrating the sacrament on a regular basis is that we get a chance to experience the sharing of the elements of his presence. If you understand Reformed thinking about the Lord's Supper, it's not just a symbol. It's not just something we do whenever it fits. It's an opportunity to experience the spiritual presence of the Lord. To take and to eat and to drink 
and to experience a growing of our faith in Jesus Christ. It's the physical symbol of his presence. And so the psalmist says we're standing firm. It's not just about being in his presence. It's also about him being preached. Jeremiah 15 makes it very clear that the word of God is preached. It's the one that pierces our soul. It's what changes us. One of the authors I read a while back was amazing. He said, preaching the word of God is like understanding that the word of God is a lot like drinking tea. I was like, what? Here's what he said. Hearing the word preached is like drinking tea. It's like steeping the tea in your cup. The more you dip it in, the richer the flavor gets. In his analogy, as he was writing, and I'm just summarizing as it was, how many of us have the word of God and we've dipped it in our lives and then we've let it dry? And we're happy with just a little bit of God's word. So how much different life would be when we realize that the preaching is about Jesus. The preaching is about him. The preaching is about how he changes us and forgives us. How he's come into our life to give us all kinds of things. And it takes a whole lot more than one little dip on a Sunday morning. And then to set it out and to say we have enough to live. He said if people would just let that tea bag sit and steep. Just how rich it would become. So I ask you this morning, his words, not mine. Are you steeped in the word of God? Is there flavor to carry you on? The psalmist says we're standing in his presence. It's not just about that. It's about his people. Hebrews 10.25 says it this way. Never neglect the gathering together of believers as some have made habit of doing. It leads to the shipwrecking of their faith. Folks, it's, it's habitual. It only takes one Sunday off until the next Sunday, it doesn't really matter. And before long, you didn't miss two Sundays, but you missed what? Three. Does anybody here feel weird when you miss three Sundays? Isn't that weird? Now, I'm not going to blame anything because God's the one that sends the weather. I remember when we first moved here, I think it was John Perry that came to me. He said, hey, I'm supposed to get with you to coordinate when we cancel services. And I wanted to go, well, then we're never going to meet. <laughs> I, I was just teasing with him. But folks, I get weather is important. But if you don't remember, I think it was last year that the weather changed. And we went three weeks without worship. Now I was crawling in my skin, jumping around at home. My family was ready to get rid of me. I know it was a mess. Because how could we go? I don't think I've ever, since I've come to know Jesus Christ, missed three weeks of worship. I don't know about you, and I'm sorry, but I will say this. It's habitual. If you miss one week, the next week gets a little easier. And the next week, what? Easier. And the next week, what? And before long, you start saying, well, the place has changed. I don't really know the people. I haven't been there in a while. You know, I don't know what I would do. And before long, you feel like you don't even miss it. And the Bible says it, not me. You can make shipwreck your faith. Oh, I'm not saying losing your salvation, but you feel like you're sinking to the bottom. When you're not in his presence, listening to his word being preached and gathered together around his people. That's why verse 6 through 8, jump down with it. Listen to what he says. When you're in worship and you're enjoying worship, it's all about the peace that actually comes. Verse 6 says this. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace within the walls. Security within the tower. My brothers and companies, for this sake, peace be within you. Folks, it's obvious that worship is designed to bring us peace. To know that God is working in our hearts, in our lives, forming and fashioning the purpose that he has for us within the body of Christ. That's where we function. Outside the body of Christ, 
In worship, everything seems unstable and unsure. That's why in verse 2, he says we can stand. But he takes us right on. Look at verses 3 and 4. It's a city that is bound firmly together. I love this part of the section. Let me focus for just a minute. The word shabar is the word in Hebrew that means to join or unite. It's combined together with the word yachad, which means together. What they're really saying here is it's built as a city that is bound firmly together. Here's how it would be translated. It is a city that is united and tied in oneness. Is that what church feels like? Oh, I know a lot of churches that don't feel that way. And when the churches aren't united and tied together in oneness, we lose our joy. We lose our direction. We lose our excitement. But the writer here makes it very clear. When we gather together, we're united. Listen to what he says. To which the tribes, verse 4, go up. Write down Revelation 7, 9. Do you remember what it says? Off the top of your head. Revelation 7, 9 is when John is writing to us. And he looks up to the throne of heaven. And God shows him around the throne the myriads of people that are gathered in heaven. And he said, I couldn't count them, but he says this, they were from every tongue, every tribe, and every nation. Do you see, it's the city of Jerusalem that the psalmist writes, and he says, when we gather together for worship, there should be no barrier. There should be no difference between nation, tongue, tribe, ethnicity, color, languages. Folks, it's in the place of worship that you can come and find wholeness of being united and tied together. It's the one place, even in Christianity, that we must overcome because it's so different outside the walls of worship. But it's here that we should be able to experience the oneness and this united feeling of being together chosen by God. Why? Because there's no more guilt. There's no more being felt left out Here's where I find purpose and meaning. Think about what God has done for you. We gather together in worship. Why? Because he has shown us mercy. He has shown us forgiveness. He has redeemed us. He's renewed us. He's adopted us. He's sealed us. We could go on and on and on. It's here that we have all this in common, and it's all because of who? Him. It's him. Let me ask you this morning, are you here because of him? We know that he's speaking about this united togetherness, the journey of all the people coming together to Jerusalem. Verse 5 makes it clear when it says there are thrones for judgment that are there. Let me just tell you quickly what those are. Those are the thrones, if you wish, that many would say are justice and judgment. The thrones of Jerusalem, it's the place. Do you remember when Solomon was first appointed as king and they granted together all these things and all the kingdoms that we... Do you remember what he prayed for? He prayed for wisdom to what? Isn't that amazing? We stop, don't we? He prayed for wisdom. But he prayed for wisdom so that he could govern godly. Judgment. That he would be able to see what was true. To be able to keep the peace. To know what it is that would glorify God. To know that judgment is what works out. The meaning that we get in scripture for the word judgment, translated even into the Septuagint of krino or to judge, is the word that simply means this, straightening things out and putting them right. And we get all that in a word. So when God brings judgment, he's what? He's straightening things out and putting them what? Right. 
And when we talk about God judging you, what we're really saying is, I hope he straightens things out in your life and puts them right. Wherever you are this morning, if you're in the center of the presence of God, you're going to find judgment. Maybe not judgment for your soul, and maybe not judgment to go to hell, but the judgment that there are things that need to be straightened out and put right. And it's here in worship that we do that. We straighten out the relationship with our kids, and we put them right. We straighten out the relationships of our feelings with our parents, and we put them right. We straighten out our attitude of what we're doing at work, and he puts them right. He straightens out the attitude of what we have with our neighbor, and he puts them right. Folks, he even straightens out the issues we're having with the one we love most, even our spouse. And this is the place we learn that he can straighten them out and help put them right. Are you listening to the worship and the word or to the wisdom of the world? That's why worship is so joyful. Judgment does things to us. We gather together to be changed. And that's why we have peace. You know the word better than any three times mentioned throughout one place. It's the word shalom. I don't know that you understand its meaning throughout Hebrew. It's used very commonly in a way of sense of just a greeting. That's true. But the word shalom actually is the state you experience when God's will is being completed in your life. That's why... If you're in the Jewish community, they can say shalom. They're not just going like this. Yeah, good day. Yeah, have a good one. Yeah, see ya. Hope everything's all right. They're saying to you, I want you to have peace. I want you to experience the state when God has worked out everything in your life to his will. That's what shalom means. And that's what they're talking about here in the presence of God. It's here that we come so that God can say to us, I need to work things out. I need to straighten things out. I need to put things right. And then I know you'll be at peace because you will have your life according to what it is I want to accomplish in your life. That's why we rejoice, verse 2, standing in the presence of the Lord. We're reminded in worship of all the things that we know, the stories, the truths, Things that have happened. We remember all that God has done. And we're reminded of his truths and how they change us. And yet, listen to the last bit. We finally find in verse 9 something besides peace. He says, for the sake of the house of the Lord, I will seek your good. The good is not for fun. The good is not that you get better. You have to look back to the word of being secure in verse 6. It's in verse 6 that we learn the word for security. It's the word shavah. It's not security in the sense of being safe. It's actually translated in the Hebrew in several verses of being relaxed. When you're secure in Hebrew, you're relaxed. Doesn't that make sense? If you know our watch team has got us here safe and sound, you can what? Relax. If you know your house is protected by an alarm system, hopefully you can what? Relax. You see, the whole concept there is, is you can let down your guard. Someone else is holding you up. You're in the presence of the one who cares. And you know that God is watching over and everything has been made right. So when we gather together for worship, let me say this. Just relax. Just relax. It's here. No matter what it is. 
no matter what we're facing, no matter what's taking over our mind, no matter what's occupying our heart, you're secure. You're standing in his presence. You're among his people. It's him that's being preached. And you can leave this place in peace, knowing that God's will is being accomplished in your life. So let me ask you once again, do you seek to come to worship? Are you giving all you got? Are you giving all you got? To come, to commit, and to celebrate the one who saved us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for calling us, beckoning us, decreeing us to come. That, Lord, we may realize it's here. It's in the context of worship. It's in the context of your presence with your people, your word being preached, that we find joy and peace. Father, I pray for forgiveness again this morning, that as your word comes about in judgment, in crino, that, Lord, it would take the things of our life and straighten them out. It would put them right. It would give us a right perspective. It would give us a right understanding. And then it would change us, that we would apologize where we need to apologize. We confront where we need to confront. Address what needs to be addressed and do it in the context of standing firmly in your presence and to seek that peace. Father, thank you for forgiving us, for cleansing us, and for loving us. We give you the praise and glory for worship. Just bring us joy in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would receive a benediction, let me first say thank you for allowing me to be here to expound on the word and to be a part of the family and to experience his presence with you. It's always something we look forward to, but may the Lord bless you, keep you, make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn his countenance toward you and give you peace. And all God's children said, have a great Lord's day.